You sure she's not coming, man? Look, man, I told you, she's not scheduled tonight. You know, it's probably none of my business, but whatever's bothering you, it's not going to be better after one night with her, okay? I know, I know. Hey, hey, it's almost last call, so uh, let me know what I can get you. Thanks. Long day? You can't even imagine. <laughs> I've been there. So what do you do, man? I work at uh, Harrison Fields downtown. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's not all it's supposed to be. Uh, I just started. Yeah. Hey, uh, can I just get a Coke? Yeah, come right up. So uh, Fortune 500, I mean, pay's got to be great. Yeah, I mean, that's why I transferred there. Um, but... It's just not working out. I thought I'd enjoy the increased pay and no salary cap, but, yeah. you know, I'm devastated. I, I just can't place it. I just feel so... Unhappy? Yeah. I mean, I mean, like, that's why I, I moved there, you know? And so I feel like um, I, I'm starting to feel how empty it is. And, and I had a, a rough past, you know, mm -hmm. but I don't know, I thought climbing the ladder, ladder of success and, and looking back in my life, I'd say, look what I did, you know? Coke. Thanks. Hey, nice work. Couldn't get any of that out of him earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, man. So uh, what do you do? I'm a social worker. I run assistance and um, some programs for the kids that age out of the um, foster care system in Clinton Hill. You do? I, I'm from that neighborhood. Hey, we're always looking for volunteers. You do? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I'm looking for somebody to run the front desk, you know, and like work on donor counts and stuff. Um, I mean, you know someone? Really? Well, it's no Harrison Fields, but... Well, that's exactly the point. You? Yeah, uh, yes. I mean, I'm from that neighborhood, and I went into the foster care system, and I just, I feel like that's something I should do. I mean, I, this has got to be a sign. Uh, what, what's the next step? <laughs> well, first things first, ditch the suit. <laughs> of course. Um, and? You're really considering this, aren't you? I, I mean, we just met. Yes, I mean, I want to help. We've got an apartment in Clinton Hill. It's furnished. Well, I don't need an apartment. Um, I, I don't need to move. Look, I know you grew up there, but if you're going to invest and get these people to trust you, then you're going to have to invest and live in the community. That sounds like a big change. but well, uh, We ask all our employees to live in the community where they work. And they work on a pretty meager salary, okay? This is... Um, this isn't like photo ops, you know, with rich people around the holidays. This is a daily need. I know. So everything and start over? In your case, uh, yeah. I, I, I get it. It's a lot. Yeah. Do you have a card or something I could call you? Or? <laughs> no, I don't have a card. Look. I'm going to give you my number. 
This probably wasn't something you were expecting to have a conversation at a bar in the flat iron about, okay? But uh, when you're ready, if you're ready, call me. Nice to meet you. Hey, thanks. Hey, man, you want to call that number? I don't think so. This is Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Let's pray as we talk about this passage of the rich young ruler tonight. Father, we know that you have plans for our lives, and and yet so do we. We have a vision of our future that involves a number of things, and sometimes that's success and money and popularity and prestige and all those things, and yet sometimes we fear that those plans aren't in your plans. We admit that we're nervous that you'll call us like this man to leave everything behind, and, and we don't want to. We love the things of this world, and we love you too, and, and we want to love both, and yet we know that when it comes down to it, sometimes we find this discouragement in knowing that our lives are kind of mundane and there's nothing that we can do about it. We pray that you would teach us the lesson you were trying to teach this rich young man, a lesson of surrender, a lesson of finding our value in you and not in our belongings and success and label in this world. For those of us in this room who feel like we are successful or want to be, we pray that you would teach us how to let go of that desire and make our desire for you even greater. And let us define success as obedience to you and watching you work through us to bring fruit and life into this world. Help us to understand where we fit in this story, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have to admit, as as I've always read the rich young ruler story in Mark 10, I've always thought that guy was just an idiot. So I read the story about a guy who comes to Jesus on his knees and says, Jesus, I'll do anything. I need to have eternal life. And Jesus says, okay, sell your possessions. And he just says, nah. And I think a little bit when we start thinking about how this looks in real life, it becomes a little more real. 
Sometimes there's a path that we desire for our lives, and we know that God has a path for our lives. And when they intersect, sometimes it's really scary to make the choice to step onto God's path and off of our paths. And as we grow up and as we start accumulating more in this world and our lives get more complicated, things just get a little more complicated. You remember when you were a kid and everything was easy? I built my kids this like clubhouse in the backyard uh, this week. And the whole reason I did it is because I wish that I was still a little kid. Because I remember when I was a kid and I used to just lay in the backyard all day and play with stuff and look at ants. Sometimes I just think, if I could just look at ants all day, I'd be happy. You just sit there. Maybe you don't really want to look at ants, but remember this time I had this biology project where that's exactly what we had to do. We had to spend five hours and stare at bugs on the ground. And at first I'm like, that's so boring. And then I sat out there with ants and I watched them and I watched them interact. And they like bump their heads together and they go off and do things. And I found myself mesmerized by these ants. And, and when I started out being bored by the end, I'm like, wow, the time has gone by so fast. And There's something great about being a little kid with all the time in the world and all the freedom in the world and no worries in the world. Remember, you used to always go into my mom and saying, I'm so bored. I wish I was bored sometimes. (laughs) I never feel bored anymore. There's always something to do. There's always a decision to be made. There's always something to go after. There's always something that needs to be picked up or cleaned up or gone after or finished. In Mark chapter 10, these little kids are coming to Jesus, and they're trying to get some blessing from Jesus, and the disciples are trying to, like, swat them away. I don't know how that looked like, swatting away little kids trying to get to Jesus. The disciples say, no, 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 I kind of picture them like bodyguards or something, saying, like, no, 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 don't touch Jesus, don't touch Jesus, don't touch Jesus, and all these little kids are coming up, and Jesus stops them and says, don't don't cease the little kids from coming to me, because the kingdom of God is theirs, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like a little child, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. There's something about being a little kid that Jesus says, you need to be like that if you want to step into my kingdom and walk with me in my life. Then as Jesus turned away from little kids and started to walk on his way, this man shows up desperate. This man is the opposite of these little kids. He's been struggling with something deep in his life. He's grown up a religious guy. He's got success. Mark describes him as a rich young ruler, right? This guy's got everything, and yet he falls to his knees in front of Jesus and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Just tell me what I have to do. In that story of the little kids and this rich young ruler, I feel like a lot of times I feel more like the rich young ruler. I I do good things in this world. I try to keep my act together. I try to follow Jesus. I try to build a life for myself. But I find myself less free and more desperate. More wanting to come to God and say, God, is this really what I'm here on this earth for? Is there something I'm missing? Is there something you want from me that will change everything? This young ruler had everything. But when he comes to Jesus, he's on his knees desperately begging. Just tell me the secret. What do I need to do to get the kind of life that you offer? You've got something, Jesus, that I don't have. You're the teacher. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. Anything. Jesus says, good teacher. Why do you call me good? There's no one good except for God alone. You know the commandments. And he starts listing off some of the ten commandments. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And the guy says, teacher, I've done all these things since I was a boy. 
Ever since I was a little kid, I did the right thing. I lived a moral life. I went to Sunday school, all that stuff, and yet he's on his knees in front of Jesus, desperately asking about the secret to life. Why was this guy so desperate? This man had riches. This guy had power in a young age. This guy was a good man. He claimed to have kept all the commandments ever since he was a little kid. He had his act together. He's the kind of guy that if you looked at him, he'd have everything. The money, the wealth, the power, the morality, all that stuff. He's the kind of guy all of us wished that we were. And yet he's on his knees in front of the Lord saying, there's something missing from my life. Last week we talked about how sometimes we put the box on and we try to pretend like we have it all together. This guy had the same thing going. There was something missing. There was a desperation in his voice as he hit his knees and begged Jesus for the secret. Truth is, some of you are like that. And sometimes I'm like that too. We look good on the outside. And people look at us and think, that guy's got it all together. That girl's got it all together. They come to you and they say, man, how do you do it? You're like an amazing young woman. How do you do it? You're like the best mom in the world, right? And you're like, me? Like, yeah, we know it. You're amazing. You're a great guy. How do you do that? You've got this morality about you. You've got it all together. And you're thinking, I don't have it all together. But you kind of think, well, I, I guess I'm supposed to. I mean, I've been working my whole life and looking like I got it all together. But yet deep in our moments with God, we hit our knees and we cry out to him and we say, God, is there anything more than this? I've been a good person. I guess I've got the stuff that I've been going after. But God, is there anything else? We don't know exactly what was causing this young ruler's desperation in his life, but a couple of the things he said kind of hints at it. He comes to Jesus and he calls him good. You're a good teacher, Jesus. You've got the answers. And Jesus kind of pushes back against that and says, why are you calling me good? Why are you looking me for answers? Isn't God the one who's got all the answers? This guy's missing something. There's a piece of his life that he thinks Jesus has this secret and he doesn't. He's letting his life at Jesus' feet and saying, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? You're a good teacher. You get it. How can I get it like you? This guy had the morality, though. He was a good person. This guy had the money, though. He had the success. But there's something missing from his life. You wonder how the little kids do it. You know, little kids don't seem to have these kind of worries. You know, we've got four kids at home, and they never come to me desperate, desperately saying, Dad, what's the secret to life? I'm at the end of my rope here. <laughs> my kids just play all day. And they fight, but then they make up and they play again. And they bounce around from thing to thing, and they go to school, they come home, and they have fun, and they're thinking about the weekend, and they're buying Legos or whatever they're doing. But I've never seen a four-year-old desperately approach God saying, God, what is the meaning to all of this? God, why can't I figure out my purpose? God, I'm trying to be a good person here, and I'm trying to build the life that you want for me, God, but I just don't know what's happening. Four-year-olds don't do that. We do that. If something changes between age four and age 20, where the desperation comes in, where no matter how much we've been walking towards the path we think we should walk towards, we start feeling like there's something missing. I think success has something to do with it. I remember when I was four years old, I wanted to be a bus driver. That was my job I wanted to have. 
And I remember my parents kind of looking at me like, that's what you want to do? You want to be a bus driver? I'm like, yeah. They're like, why? Right? And probably expecting to say, well, you know, if I'm a bus driver, you know, I can. I said, I just want to drive a bus. That's it. I just want to drive a bus. And then I wanted to be an architect. And I was like eight when I wanted to be an architect. And I remember my parents being a little more excited about that because that sounds like the type of career you're supposed to shoot after, right? Be an architect. She's like, wow, yeah, is, are you finally realizing that you can make a little more money as an architect than a bus driver? I'm like, no, no, no. I just like drawing buildings with my crayons. <laughs> like, oh, when's he going to get it? Life's about more than crayons and buildings and buses. Life's about success. Life's about money. And as I got older, I started to realize that that is the truth, that life's not about having fun. Life's about making a future for yourself. And so there were some careers that I should not choose because they're not that lucrative. And there were other careers that I should choose because they were lucrative and people like you when you do that. And they require advanced degrees, so you look special when you do those things. And so I realized that maybe I should choose a path that looks a lot better than just being a crayon architect architect or a yellow bus driver. So I started to think, I, I want to be a CEO. I've never heard a four-year-old say, I want to be a CEO when I grow up. Never heard it. Except on those life uh, cereal commercials where those kids are wearing those suits and all that. Started realizing that the pathway that brings happiness is the pathway that brings financial success and popularity. And that my silly dreams of jobs that are just fun where I got to drive a bus all day and that's not where I'm going to truly find fulfillment. So I went after those things. And we go after those things. Looking for a job that makes you more money. And sometimes we're in a job that's fine and we like it, but we feel ashamed that we don't make enough money in it. So we're looking for a better job. We're going to school at night. We're doing all these things because we want to build up success in this world. Because we think that if we have success, then we'll be happy and fulfilled. And what starts to happen is what started out as this childish, like, I, I want to just do good things because I want to be happy and have fun, changes to this, I want to do good things so that people think I'm great and I can find fulfillment in having a, a big bank account, or I can find fulfillment in having power in this world, or I can find fulfillment in being a job I can brag about and my parents won't be ashamed of. I'll find fulfillment in that, and we start becoming more adulty and desperate. And the desperation comes in when we realize that even when we achieve those things sometimes, we're still not fulfilled. I think this rich young ruler felt that. And he came to Jesus and he had everything. He had the morality, he had the money, he had all of those things, the power. And yet there's something missing. And he says, Jesus, just tell me what it is and I'll do it. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? There's got to be more than this. Sometimes we jump around at church trying to find what, what more there is here. I remember a kid that was in my college group one time when I was the college pastor who came to me and said, Pastor, I've learned the Bible. First, uh, first red flag. I've learned the Bible. What more can I get? Like, what, do you, what do you mean? What are you, what are you looking for? It's like, I want power. Like spiritual power. I'm like, what do you mean spiritual power? He's like, well, I mean, I'm just, I'm done with the Bible. I know it. Tell me what you mean when you say you're done with the Bible. You know it, right? And he picks out the Bible. This is exactly what he did. He grabs the Bible. He's like, listen, like two eagles and a vine, the one who sins will die, a lament over Israel's princes, rebellious Israel purged, rebellious Israel renewed, prophecy. I'm like, you're just reading the chapter headings. He's like, I know all this stuff. I want more power. And so I tried to kind of poke in at this guy to be like, 
what are you talking about when you want this more power? He's like, there's power somewhere. I need to find power. And it just felt like whatever Christian experience he was having, it just wasn't fulfilling him. So there had to be more. There had to be some secret like deep within the text or on the other side of the text or like on the cover of his Bible or something. Or maybe I knew it. And so he would come to me and say, you've got to tell me there's got to be more than just living as a Christian. There's got to be more than that. I want more than that. I want more than that. And this guy comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I get it. I've done all the commandments. I've lived that way since I was a kid, but I want more. And you've got it. What is it? Tell me the secret. You watch TV and you listen to people talking about how to be fulfilled spiritually. And there's always some secret to it. If you just pray this certain way, if you just do this certain thing, if you just max out your credit card and donate to this church over here, right? Then God will fulfill you like never before. We want that. We wish there was a magic bullet. That would just fix everything. Jesus turns to the guy and says, you know what the commandments are. Do that. And Jesus lists off some commandments. And interestingly, one of the commandments he lists off is, do not defraud Did you know that do not defraud is not one of the Ten Commandments? Read the list that Jesus listed this guy. You shall not murder. It's one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery. That's one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not steal. That's one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not give false testimony. That's one of the Ten Commandments. And the next commandment is supposed to be you shall not covet. But he says you shall not defraud. Not one of the Ten Commandments. Then he says, honor your father and mother. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Jesus lists like four or five commandments in a row. And right in the middle of them is one that he tweaks a little bit and changes do not covet to do not defraud. And the guy is probably like, I was scared about that covet one. And I think one of the things that happened to this guy as he grew up is this idea of coveting. How do you control that? Coveting is when you're like jealous for resources. Just don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Don't be jealous for that. Don't want stuff that's not yours. Don't have this sin inside you where you're just looking to accumulate more things. Don't do that. Do not covet. This guy had grown up as a rich man, kind of worked his way to the place that he could be called a rich, young ruler. And that takes a lot of coveting sometimes. I'm guessing because Jesus changes the command from do not covet to do not defraud. Sometimes we take the scriptures, and we know what they say, but we don't like what they say. And so we change them to what we wish they said. So if you're someone who has an issue with coveting, like you're always thinking about, man, I need more money, I need a better car, I need more stuff, I need a better wife, whatever it is. I need more, need more, need more, need more, need more. And you're coveting all these things that your neighbor has and trying to keep up with the Joneses, that kind of thing. And you're coveting, coveting, coveting. And you read a command that says, do not covet. You're like, I can't stop that. You can't really affect how you feel on the inside, right? I mean, do not murder. Just don't do it. Don't commit adultery. Keep your hands to yourself. Do not lie, keep your mouth shut, tell the truth, right? But do not covet, that's like an emotional thing. You can't do that. So what's the physical manifestation of being a good business person? Well, just deal honorably in your business dealings. So what this guy had done is he changed the idea of not coveting to not defrauding. And Jesus kind of poked at it a little bit. 
Because what this guy should have said was, well, Jesus, actually, when you said do not defraud, that's not one of the commandments. The real commandment is do not covet. But if that guy said that, he would uncover that his big issue was the fact that he was not content with what he had, and he always wanted more. Sometimes we can take the Bible and twist it a little bit and think, you know what? I mean, yeah, I, I want to be successful, but that's natural, right? Yeah, I want a better car, but everyone does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I wish that I had what my neighbor has, but you know what? I'm not going to do anything unethical about that. I'm going to deal well at work with people. I'm not going to cheat folks. I'm not going to be one of those people that gets in one of those get-rich-quick schemes. I'm not going to be hustling around trying to make money. I'm not going to be sneaky. I'm not going to be a sleazy, used-car salesman guy. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm going to deal honorably. And if the Lord gives me great resources, which is what I really want, then that's his prerogative, but I'm going to be a good person. And I feel like Jesus is trying to uncover the fact that that's exactly how this rich young ruler was thinking. That he had a, a disease in his life where he just wanted success so badly that when the Ten Commandments said, do not covet, instead he just decided that meant that as he coveted, he should covet in a Christian way. Don't want your neighbor's wife and then steal her. Want your neighbor's wife and then if she ever becomes signal, single, hit on her. Don't desire the Tesla and then steal it. Desire the Tesla and then make a bunch of money and buy it. But the command doesn't say do not defraud. The command says do not covet. Now coveting was the big issue for the Apostle Paul too. He talked about the law and how he could really obey the law if he worked hard at it. And he can get through the Ten Commandments and say I didn't murder anyone today. I didn't commit adultery today. I didn't lie today. And he could kind of feel good about himself saying, I followed the commandments of the Lord. But the Apostle Paul said, when it came to the command, do not covet, I knew I was doomed. Because that's not one that you can just not do. It's one that exposes the sin in you and just comes out of you. That's why when Jesus talks about the commandments in the Sermon on the Mount, he always takes the big picture commandment. And brings it back to its root. He says, you've heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who lusts is in sin. You've heard that it says, do not murder. But what I was saying when I wrote that command was that you shouldn't have a murderous heart. We're so good at trying to build a life on the outside that pleases God and pleases the world and pleases ourselves. But Jesus says, if you'll just truly step into what my commands say, you will learn that even though it's scary to stop coveting and stop desiring things that you don't have, there's freedom that can, become, that can be had if you just release yourself of the need to have more and get more and be more and want more. But when Jesus said, do not defraud, this guy just let it pass on by. And he said, well, Jesus, I've done all that since I was a little boy. Since I was a child, I've been a good person. And Jesus could have looked at him and said, whatever, man, get out of here. You're not playing the game. I'm trying to bring you through here. But instead, it says Jesus looked at the guy, and he loved him. He realized that this guy was caught up in this need for success and this need for stuff and this need to be powerful in the eyes of this world. And, and Jesus offered him a phrase that could bring him life. He said, one thing you lack Sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. 
And Mark tells us that the man went away sad because he had great wealth. Sometimes we read that passage and we think, oh no, does Jesus want me to give up all my stuff? This, this surely can't mean that I need to let go of all my things because I like my things. And I like my house and I like my car and I like my stuff and I like my job and I like my paycheck and I like all that stuff. And, and I hope that Jesus isn't talking to me. And so we jump through all these theological hurdles to try to prove to ourselves that Jesus' words don't apply to our lives. But when we do that, what we show is that we have the same issue as this man who hoped the Bible didn't speak to him. We hope that God lets us covet because we think that coveting and going after what we covet will bring us happiness. But this guy spent his life coveting and running after the things of this world and it left him desperate at the feet of Jesus, begging for the answer. Jesus said, the answer is let go of your stuff and you'll find freedom and treasure in heaven. And the guy said, I can't do it. And he walks away. And that was so power, that's what's so powerful to me about even the skit tonight. We can kind of feel the weight of that. This guy comes in and he's desperate because even though he's got the job he's wanted, he's making the money, he passed the interview, the paycheck's coming in, he knows he's empty inside. And when God provides him with an opportunity to do what he's always wanted to do, work in the inner city in his old neighborhood, in the social work sphere, in the foster care system that he came out of, and all of those ducks are in a row and we think, perfect, this is what you always wanted to do. He says, no, because he doesn't want to leave his mansion and move back to the city he feels called to serve. Something real about that. That we're so terrified God wants us to let go of our stuff. But Jesus loved this man and said, if you let go of your stuff, the desperation will disappear. Does this mean we should all sell our stuff? I think this means that if you're terrified that God might be calling you to sell your stuff, that you've got that same issue that this man had. And Jesus wants to free you from coveting which you feel like drives you for success, but really cripples you and makes you desperate. The man walks away sad, and Jesus turns to his disciples and says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Because I'll tell you the truth, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get through the kingdom of God. And then the disciples look around and probably laugh because he's talking about a camel going through a needle, and and then one of the disciples realizes, Jesus, we left everything to follow you. Oh, we don't have stuff. We don't have money. We don't have real jobs. We just follow you around. We don't even have food to eat. We don't have a house. Like, we're not like this guy and I. We've, uh, guy at all, we've left everything. And we would expect Jesus to come back and say, stop being so prideful. But instead, Jesus comes back to them and he says, yes. And those who have surrendered so much in this world will inherit so much in the next. He calls his disciples little children. Because that's what they are. They understand that they don't need to be consumed with the things of this world. Matthew walked away from the tax collector's booth and left everything to follow Jesus. The disciples were fishing and Jesus called them. They dropped their nets and they followed him. They left it all. They let go of their resources, their wealth, their pursuit for worldly things. And they followed after Jesus. And along the way, they found fulfillment and contentment and childlike faith that brought them exuberant joy in this world and a future kingdom to come. When we look at the words of Jesus and sometimes we feel like they're so burdensome 
so much we have to do, so many pleasures we have to avoid. Someone last week after the message about realizing that you don't have to be a good person to go to heaven, they said, well, why should we stop sinning then? Like, if we can do anything we want, why would we want to be good people? And I said, well, the Bible says that the sin that you've been engaging in is destroying you and crippling you and hurting you and bringing you discontentment. And the road to life is the road to following Jesus. His commands aren't to make you sad. His commands are to bring you freedom. And when he tells this rich young ruler, sell your things, he's not trying to mess his life up. He's trying to mess his life up and give him a new, a good, a better one. Sell your stuff, don't sell your stuff. But deal with that command, you shall not commit covetousness. Don't covet. Deal with it. And what is it that you're holding on to? What is it that you're scared that God will call you to do? What is it that you're scared God will get you, let, make you let go? What is it that you're holding on to and saying, God, as long as you let me keep this, I'll do anything for you? And God doesn't want to pry that out of your hands to make you sad. He wants to pry that out of your hands to give you life. When you can let go of the covetedness and you can cling to Jesus instead, you'll find yourself like the disciples, like little children following around after Jesus, realizing, wait, we did leave everything to follow you, didn't we? It's like they hadn't even remembered. Whatever it is God wants you to let go of, let go of it. It's money, the love of money. It's a relationship, the love of a relationship. If it's the desire to be married and it consumes you, if it's your body image that consumes you, if you think, if I only was like this or did this or had this or wasn't like this, then I'd be happy. Let go of that feeling and cling to Jesus and says, you know what, who cares about that stuff? I want you instead. And when you cling to him and walk with him, maybe he'll give you stuff, but he will give you contentment and he will give you life. Let's pray together and then let's take communion. Father, we pray that we would not judge the rich young ruler. A man who had such an easy answer to a question about what he needed to do, and yet he walked away from it sad. But let us be people who never walk away from you sad. That when we hear a message, or when we read the Bible, or we have a prayer time, or we get a feeling in our hearts that you want us to let go of something, that we wouldn't walk away from that time sad because you're trying to keep us down but we would obey you, let go of those things and find freedom on the other side. You, we know that you tell us to cling to you and find life there, but we admit it's so hard. Even when us, like the man in the skit tonight, come face to face with you and you provide us with exactly what we've always wanted, we run from it because we're terrified. Let us trust you. Let us cling to you. As we take communion tonight, remind us that you've paid the price for our sins. You shed your blood on the cross, that your body was given for us. And we eat this and we drink this and we remember that we died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. And with the life that we now live, let us live it for you. Let us let go of the things of this world that we feel like we need and will make us happy. And let's cling to you, who we do need, and who will truly give us joy and contentment and fulfillment. Let us walk with you. Let us find freedom in walking away from the things that hold us down. 
And let us realize along the way that we've surrendered so much and yet it didn't even matter. We pray these things in Jesus' name.